Welcome to Behind the Curtain, where we take a closer look at the issues of the day that you might not hear about from the mainstream media. We talk with people who know what's behind the smokescreen of what they want you to see and what's really going on. People whose expertise gives an inside view of the issues that are important to all of us. I'm your host, Jackie Guzda. And so today we have Vicki Alviar Schechter. She's a writer of young adult and middle grade historical fiction as well as adult historical fiction with the novel A Day of Fire, a novel of Pompeii. Vicki is a contributor to the Huffington Post and also the online magazine Medium. And it was the article in Medium that caught my attention. You want to tell us a little bit about the bet that you took, Vicki? Yeah, what happened was that, that I had a friend on Facebook, and I want to emphasize it's a Facebook friend. Uh, we'd only ever touch base because we were in the same industry. Um, and he said, uh, I would love to hear liberals on the walls because I bet they can't use facts that will get only emotions from them. And right. I, yeah, there's all kinds of talk like that. Right. Yeah. And, and I was like, okay, um, I will play. <laughs> uh, because I, that's the irony to me is that we think, uh, or at least those of us who are against the wall, think that those that are for the wall are also responding emotionally. So that kind of caught my attention because it, um, I just thought, okay, we're we're missing each other here. So um, I would like to respond without emotion to, A, prove to him that, yes, <laughs> we can do that, and also use facts that come from his worldview. Okay, so... So, that, so that's why I decided to use um, conservative sources. So you did. Uh, you used only conservative-leaning sources being, uh, number one, the Cato Institute. Yes. And who else did you use? Uh, the Cato Institute um, was my primary source. Mm -hmm. And they're a right-wing slash libertarian think tank funded by the Koch brothers um, and also uh, a big part of supporting of the Tea Party. Correct. Um, so I, but I did uh, look at an article by uh, a Tea Party representative um, from Newsweek. The, the the sort Newsweek isn't necessarily conservative, but that columnist was. Mm -hmm. um, I looked at uh, an article in the Chicago Tribune, which is le which is conservative leaning, and um, let's see. I think you used the National Review, correct? Yes, I yes. used the National Review, which is a conservative magazine. And um, something I added when when Medium kind of refreshed the article is a Harvard Business Review mm -hmm. article, which is not necessarily conservative, but business-oriented. So right. they, that often overlaps. Um, so I... I went to these sources because I thought, look, we're just all speaking over each other. And if I say, well, gee, I went to the Huffington Post, they're going to say, no, I'm sorry, I don't accept your facts. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I thought, okay, I really don't want this to be a pissing contest about whose facts are right. Mm -hmm. Let's use the facts that we have 
and I thought the message would go over better if I pulled from sources that he would uh, or conservative readers might consider reliable and factual. Correct. Yep, that sounds great to me. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I did, and it actually I didn't expect for it to be an eleven point piece. I mean, I expected to just kind of uh, put a couple of of comments about why if there really isn't a unified voice to have a wall, the the impression from Fox News and other right wing media is that um, all of conservative uh, leaning people want the wall. So I was a bit surprised to see there was so much that said, let's not use our taxpayer money in this way when there doesn't seem to be um, any proof that it will work to meet our goals. So by the time I was done, I had a, a 11 points. And um, so so let's let's dissect this. Let's look okay. at those 11 points and discuss them. So number one, you yep. say walls don't work. Yeah, that's the one. Oh, that's the one I get a lot of pushback from <laughs> in terms of um, people commenting mm-hmm. and um, a lot of angry um, people saying, you're wrong. Don't you have doors on your house? Um, but again, we have to look at, at the facts. And um, Walls according to the Cato Institute, do not appear to have much effect on immigration. There's the obvious issues that people tunnel under, people um, drive over, people will go uh, around Mm. uh, areas that are not that cannot be walled off. Well, there was a woman who was impaled on the little wall that we have on the southern border a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, there. the other thing, another little fact that I didn't put in there, but I came across, which I thought was really interesting, uh, there's been a hundred, according to uh, Pew Research, there's been like a well, close to 150% increase in uh, Mexican immigrants going to Canada mm-hmm. and coming in over the Canadian border. Hmm. So what are we, what, what are we going to do there? Right. You know, so it just, it f- feels like um, a wall is symbolic, like it can make you feel better, mm-hmm. but it actually um, is ineffective. And then, you know, which moves on to other points that, that yes, they are effective if you militarize it. <laughs> Mm. And you have uh, soldiers marching up and down with rifles ready to shoot anybody that's going to come across. Those walls that are highly militarized do work. Mm-hmm. Right. But is that really what we're talking about here? Is that, you know, so it just raises so many questions. So a wall on its face, on its own, is not the miracle cure that um, a lot of folks seem to feel like it is. I just assume wall equals safety. Okay, very good. So well taken. Let's look at point number two. Mm-hmm. You say that most illegal immigrants have overstayed their welcome here in the States. Yeah, that was an interesting fact. Um, so a lot of illegal immigrants come over to study, to visit family, to work, 
And um, I have read that it's about 50% and possibly even more. What happens is they just decide to not go back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's 56%, if I recall. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a big number <laughs> yeah. when you think about the actual problem of illegal immigration. So that, to me, sounds like a policy problem, a follow-up problem, uh, not a wall problem. Mm. So um, if the wall isn't going to address 56% of the problem, why are we going to put $5.7 billion into it? Right. Now, point number three is an argument that I've heard before, is you say that the walls have little impact on drugs being brought into the U.S., Right. And again, I want to point out, I may have written it, but it's not it's not my idea. These are uh, points the, of research taken from these sources. And I point that out because I get I've gotten a lot of comments about how I, I am personally wrong. And I'll, I'll gently remind people, these are not my arguments. These are conservatively sourced arguments. So uh, the point that these drugs, that, that it has very little impact, um, the DEA and, and everybody else involved in this research pretty much confirms that drugs come in through ports of entry, uh, through the existing um, places, you know, the... the, the, the Oh, you mean yeah, in Tijuana, the Tijuana border, where you drive your car yeah. through? Well, basically, what they're doing is they're they're hiding it in trailers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about massive amounts. Uh, they're hiding it in trailers. They're uh, hiring people to drive it over. Um, but the existing problem for drugs is not necessarily people coming over carrying backpacks of drugs. Mm -hmm. The issue is that they're being driven over, uh, hidden amongst trade goods um, Mm. and other uh, ways of of coming in through ports, uh, uh, marine ports, Hmm. uh, driving ports, uh, airports. That's where they get, where they capture most of these. Most are, So are you saying that most of the drugs come through on bigger rigs like tractor trailers, uh, ships, things like that? That's what the, the research tends to show. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that's based on um, where they capture most of these drugs. Oh. So they're not capturing them on on people climbing a wall or crossing the desert mm-hmm. um, they're capturing these drugs on uh, uh, ports of entry as as people get m- more sophisticated in hiding them among um goods that are being traded and and so forth wow uh so it's a it's it's a misunderstanding of how, how drugs are getting into the united states to think that it's you know, these uh, small families with backpacks of drugs coming over. That's not what's happening. Now, there are tunnels, and I know the drug cartels have created tunnels, but uh, again, the wall doesn't help us. Well, sure. Yeah, they just showed that it was on CNN this week, the tunnel that went under the existing part of the wall that we already have. Right. So, so again, a wall doesn't address the, the actual reality of how drugs are being transported. Okay. Now, let's move on to number four. Mm -hmm. You say it's environmentally impractical. 
Yes. Now, he, what's interesting is um, the conservative sources don't talk about this at all. Uh, Cato, the Cato Institute mentions it, but um, they're, they're – so I, I kind of talked it up more a little bit in, in my piece because I, I think it is a big issue. And we must look at it, even if if uh, conservative sources say, "Nah, don't worry about it." <laughs> well, what what could happen environmentally on the border? Well, um, the one of the things that Cato did talk about is um, the fact that uh, torrential rainstorms have washed away existing steel walls. Um, that then you have. Um, water issues, water accumulations, water um, sharing issues. And that's not even touching on the uh, fauna and wildlife uh, that would be affected. Because, again, those are, I would have to go to uh, more liberal sources Mm -hmm. for that. But um, I think it, I think it, it seems obvious to, to me or to the average person that if you start building barriers, animals that cross the borders or from their territories for hunting are going to be impacted, that right. uh, water flows will change. Um, the, goodness knows what the unintended consequences would be. Mm. Uh, and there are always unintended consequences environmentally. Right. Okay, let's go to number five. You're concerned about the government taking away land from private citizens under eminent domain. Yes, so uh, a great deal of the where the wall would go um, crosses private land. And uh, this always surprises me when conservatives say, whatever, we'll just take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, it always struck me as a, as a private property that the government cannot take a citizen's private property for its own uses. Um, as a very strong and important platform for conservative rights kind of thing. So um, it would take, uh, it's hard to estimate how many millions of dollars it would take and how many years tied up in the courts as people say, no, you can't take half my ranch Mm. or you can't, you can't can't just cut through my land. Um, So eminent domain and the issues involved with that is is just a, a reality. There's a lot of land in Texas that is privately owned. Uh, and I, I just can't imagine that people are going to easily hand over their private property. To so, the government. yeah, it would probably be a long uh, standing argument, case by case, taking away their land. Correct. Yeah. So. All right. So well taken. The Border Patrol agents, you're saying that they don't like concrete or steel walls, the the one that's being advocated now, because it does not help them with surveillance. Yeah, that was interesting to me. Uh, That hadn't occurred to me. And so when I read that, uh, it it made sense to me, though. I mean, if you have a fence, they can see what's happening, right? They can, mm-hmm. they, they have a visual cue as to where maybe they need more support and they can radio in and say, you know, I've got a situation approaching, right? And mm-hmm. so they can all gather together. If you've got a concrete wall or, or steel wall that you can't see past, 
how are you going to know where people are trying to find its vulnerabilities? Mm. Um, so that that was intriguing to me. Um, again, you know, I've gotten very interesting comments and and people. Uh, who disagree, you know, with the medium article will say, that's ridiculous. Of course they want the wall, um, which is also true. So the, the, the point being that there are some border agents that don't want the wall and mm-hmm. some border agents that do. <laughs> well, speaking about border agents, you one of your points is that they were saying that these walls are meaningless without agents and technology to support them. Right. So there we go back to the highly militarized operation. Um, They're saying without the support, without um, the uh, high tech equipment, radios um, and and hopefully not rifles, but um, without the the ability. And I think drones have come into the conversation Mm, without the ability to mobilize and act a wall is meaningless. So, um, you know, to, to talk about spending that kind of money, on, you know, billions of dollars on a wall, when perhaps maybe we need to look at, all right, let's look at their concerns seriously. What do the border agents need? Mm-hmm. What do they need right now? Maybe we should be looking at that. Um, so, you know, it just raises issues that that there could that we could be using the money that we want for. Uh, protecting our borders in and, more realistic and helpful ways. And and there was an interesting point that you brought up that said that where the barriers already exist, there was not not much impact on the number of people crossing over. Yes, that that also came from the Cato hmm. report. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean that they themselves say without the manpower, without the technology. It's just a symbol. People huh. just get around it in various ways. And 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 also on the other side, that the the South Americans, the Mexicans, Central Americans that come over to the United States for those seasonal industries, for instance, uh, the people who pick the crops uh, during our season over here, they can't get back to their countries uh, after that is finished because of the, this wall. Yes, that was uh, very interesting to me um, that that uh, was a concern. I didn't mm-hmm. even, it never occurred to me that that could happen. Basically what they were saying, oh, here it is. Okay, uh, by 2009, with three times as many agents, 650 miles of barriers and constant surveillance along the border and illegal immigrants' likelihood of leaving within one year had dropped to a statistically insignificant level Border security had essentially trapped them in. Mm. Now that that was just really interesting to me because it never occurred to me. So um, the uh, the fear of getting caught going home, right? <laughs> yes. So that to me indicates. All right, let's talk about uh, a policy changes to make it so that uh, workers that come in seasonally you know, can come in legally mm-hmm. and leave legally. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that, that's a policy issue, not a wall issue. Okay, so these are all terrific points. Let's talk about the money, how we're going to pay for this. Um, uh, Trump wants 
various amounts at various times. But we're going by this $5 billion mark that he wants. Yes. Now, according to your research, you're saying that that's a drop in the bucket for what will actually be needed. Yeah, that um, that was also uh, a surprise. Um, and yet not really. When you think about how, I mean, even when you talk about fixing something in your house, how often does the estimate actually re- reflect right. um, the actual cost? Yes. So, um, you know, there were some estimates that were we're going into the $30 billion. Yeah. I believe um, that was MIT engineers, right? Yes. Yes. And I'm, I'm prone to believe the engineers who understand, you know, the mechanics of building a wall in that environment more than I am, um, a politician. So I think that's, I mean, just the absurd amount of money, uh, what could, what could, we do with that amount of money to fix our infrastructure mm-hmm. problems, to fix uh, education, mm-hmm. um, addiction is, you know, I mean, just there is countless ways that I think, and I think that's where the divide is, is um, it's not that, from my point of view, that liberals don't want border security. It's that we want to use that money differently. And right. that's what it's coming down to. Uh, um, as upset as I am about the government closure, I I don't want the Democrats. And as again, as I'm speaking as a personal, as a citizen, I don't want them to cave and give up and give into that five point seven billion dollars because there are more urgent needs in our society that I think that money should go to. Well, just this morning, I got an email from the Brookings Institute. Uh, and they said, and I'll quote them, in other words, the construction of a $5.7 billion southern border wall would almost exceed the typical United States Army Corps of Engineers budget for all projects nationally in a given year. So they're talking about everything you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and again, you know, it's, it, these are difficult things to talk about because, some of the responses from um, conservatives, you know, to my piece have been, uh, well, don't you want to be safe? And isn't the security of our nation, you know, of your utmost concern? Well, of course, my, you know, our security is, is a concern of mine. But <laughs> if it doesn't work mm-hmm. and if it's going to drain our coffers, why should we do it? Right. And, well, yeah. Brookings Institute uh, said, and I quote, if President Trump were to shift the energy he has put into the wall for a truly comprehensive infrastructure plan, the mm. shutdown would likely be over and Americans could get back to work on the projects that really matter. Right. Pursuing yeah. big projects with no funding to back them up or worse, rating scarce funding from programs and communities that need it leaves a costly legacy for the country moving forward, unquote. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. That's exactly how I, you know, feel. And I'm using the word feel because no feelings. That is that is an emotional response to that. It's like I don't want my taxpayer money being used on an ineffective, a proven ineffective, uh, symbolic gesture that does nothing when there's so much need for within our own borders. So, so after you posted 
your list. You're researched with conservative slash libertarian uh, sources. You put it up on Facebook and you waited for responses. What happened? Yes. So what happened uh, was that I was like, okay, here we go. Um, And I wrote it as unemotionally as possible. I I didn't want to fall into that gotcha game Mm -hmm. that so often happens. I just wanted to state the facts using sources that they could trust Mm -hmm. so that we could discuss this um, without you know, high emotions and insults and and the other things that tend to happen in this polarized environment. And I waited, I waited, and I knew since I had posted my answer that I would get dinged when any uh, answers would come. And I kept waiting and waiting and, and I would, and um, so finally I said, that's odd. Maybe I'm just not getting notifications. So I went to this person's page to look for the article to see who had responded after me and I couldn't find it. And mm. I went back two or three times thinking, I don't understand. I'm, I must've missed something. And then it slowly dawned on me that well, the reason I can't find it and that there are no responses is because he removed the entire post. He removed it. He removed it. Why? Um, do you know? Well, no, I'm not close with this person. And I just thought, you know, he had his reasons. And um, I, again, I didn't want to come across as belligerently accusing him of anything. You know, it was just, hmm, clearly he does not want to pursue this conversation. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because he erased it. Well, that's, um, that's the problem, isn't it? Is that, yeah. as you said before, we're not talking with each other. Right. And that was really why I went to conservative sources. Yes, so of that course. So could talk. Yes. And um, so when he erased it, I was kind of stunned. And it took me, a, a, you know, checking again and again uh, to go to his page and see um, that it just wasn't there. Um that then I understood I'd been shut down, you know, and just in the same way the government was shut down. Um, and that's, you know, a microcosm of the problem. Um, well, it's it's the solution to the problem. <laughs> what you're proposing is that we talk to each other in each other's language. Yes. And interestingly, this was something that I started doing um, in, in other areas. This isn't the first time that I've responded to... Um, kind of conservative issues where, where people challenge me um, because I realize it it then just becomes a, a contest of whose facts are right. And who's you know? going to win and who's right. going to lose. And that's not what we need to be doing. I mean, when the government works, when our nation works, it's when we all disagree that there are certain facts that are that we need to work with. And when we are all have are working with these facts, we can negotiate back and forth as to how we want to address these facts. But if if the if some people say, "No, I don't I don't trust your facts because they're liberal," then we can't talk. That's right. So that's why I I just thought if I can if I can have a conversation with um, folks using um, sources they trust, uh, you know, perhaps we can get somewhere. So that's why I was so surprised that he deleted it. Well, um, you did your best, and yeah. 
It was an interesting experiment, and my hope is that people listening to this podcast will start to approach what they consider the other, in quotes, the other side, um, more cordially and more accepting, as you said, that facts are facts and opinion. Opinion cannot be true, uh, cannot be proven right or wrong. Mm-hmm. So let's open the door to communicate with each other and finally solve our problems. Yes, and in, in, in some of the responses that I got back from Medium were some angry, you know, insults and, you know, who wanted to say things like, well, you're wrong and your facts, you're completely off. And it enabled me to just kind of go back to them and gently say, well, I I just want to remind you that these aren't my opinions. These are facts taken from sources um, that are trusted by most conservatives. Right. And so, you know, I mean, that's just, it's my personality to not be confrontational anyway. But I do think we have to find a way to bridge this gap so that we're all talking about um, the issue. Yes, we're coming at it with different uh, viewpoints, but as long as we're all talking about the same facts, then we can possibly move forward. Correct. I I like that idea. So I want to thank you very much, Vicki Alviar-Schechter, for sharing your insight on this experiment. And uh, I hope that people listening will start to listen to those others on the other side. That would be my hope as well. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Vicki. Take care. Take care. This has been Behind the Curtain, a conversation about the issues that affect our lives. Behind the Curtain is produced under the auspices of Western Connecticut State University. Come back and listen. There's a new show at the start and the middle of every month. I'm Jackie Guzda. Talk to you soon.